Today we begin um, uh, a designated season of prayer, not to be different from your normal life of prayer, except for as a collective body, as a corporate body, as a church, we are going to set aside some things of this world to disconnect horizontally, to connect vertically. And every year we, when we do this, it always seems that when we come together and we gather, there's just a unity of spirit. Does anybody agree with what I'm talking about? It's like there's a, even this morning, a, a heart that's prepared to meet with God. He meets with you, right? Um, well, people fast for various reasons. We talk about fasting um, I was sharing with a brother this morning, fasting in the Bible always means um, laying aside food uh, and, and drink for uh, the purpose of prayer. And so to disconnect from what, you, what your body needs to really get what your spirit needs, uh, which is the Lord. But in, in the Bible, people have fasted for a variety of reasons. And I thought maybe it would be a good idea to start with some examples. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat um, saw a, a, an army coming and he felt like we're in trouble. And he prayed, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And he declares a fast for the whole region. So sincere in this prayer for God's mercy and protection that he even, um, well, he called for everyone from the, from the top down to fast and to pray for God's protection and mercy. Queen Esther, she needed confidence to go before the king to protect the people of Israel. And she was scared. She was concerned for her own life. And so she called the people of Israel to fast for three days. And uh, asked them to pray for her that, and for the people that God would give her favor in front of the king. She famously, Esther 4.14, came to this resolve, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to do what God has given me to do. And she fasted. After Jonah preached judgment in the city of Nineveh, he, came through preaching and the, the word of Jonah's message got to the king of Nineveh and he declares a fast for everyone in the city to repent, to put on sackcloth and ashes and to, to fast, to not eat or drink anything. He even says, I want you to starve the animals. And the Bible records that the animals were lowing, were, were, were moaning in agony and pain because their physical bodies had been deprived what they needed. And it was the sound of the animals that just resonated in the people's ears as they fasted. And God relented from his judgment and was merciful to Nineveh. After David sinned with Bathsheba, and she became pregnant because of adultery, God came with a word of judgment. He told David by Nathan the prophet, the, the baby, that Bathsheba is carrying is not going to live. David's heart was grieved. This was not what he wanted. He, why should this baby die? Why, why my sin is going to be judged on this baby? And so he laid on his face and fasted and prayed for seven days. There was nothing. His servants couldn't get him off the floor. He just prayed and prayed and prayed. Asking God to spare the child's life. 
Probably most famously, Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness before the great temptation with Satan. It was the fasting, it was the disconnect of the world, the, the depriving of his body that called on him to really connect with the Lord, that prepared him, equipped him even to fend off the enemy. Another time, the disciples of Jesus had uh, run into a boy who was possessed by a demonic spirit. And hard as they tried, they were unable to bring healing and restoration to this boy. They, they came back to Jesus. They said, we don't understand. Why can't we cast this demon out? And Jesus immediately turns and immediately heals the boy. And they're like, they throw their hands up in frustration. I don't understand, you know. They turn to Jesus and he explains to them, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. There's something about this, this idea of fasting and prayer that equips us for battle. One last example in the book of Acts, just so we know that this is not an Old Testament phenomenon. In fact, Jesus was asked... Um, you know, the disciples of John, they, they fast, but your disciples, they're, they're eating all the time. And Jesus said, well, they're with the bridegroom. This is a celebration because I'm here. But when I leave, my disciples will fast. So Jesus actually promises that it's part of life for us. And many people think, well, you know, fasting, I don't, it's not my thing. But I would encourage you to make it your thing. Find a time and place. Jesus intends for you as a believer to participate in fasting from time to time for different circumstances. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, as they're going throughout their journeys, I love the story. Paul has just been beaten within an inch of his life. He was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. They got up. They went and preached in another town. The people in Lystra said, don't you ever come back here again. And Paul said, hmm, No. And they went back to Lystra where he'd planted those churches and he called those churches to fast and they appointed elders. And he said, the health of these churches is more important than my health, be it death or just fasting. It's not worth it. It's worth it for me to sacrifice for myself for the, for the stability of these churches. So those are some examples. It's just a select few of many in the scriptures. But here's what we know is that fasting gives fervency to prayer. Do you know that? Like when you, when you are hungry, your words get serious. Sometimes they get delirious. But when you're hungry, I don't know. Anybody ever heard the word hangry? Anybody ever heard that? Okay. Um, if you hang around my children long enough, you'll understand what I mean. When they don't eat for just a little while, like if lunch is an hour late, you know, I get a couple that get hangry on me. When you get hungry, the passions of your soul come out. Do you know that? I'm serious. You start depriving yourself of food, that passion will surface. So fasting gives fervency to prayer. And Jesus knew this. Most of us pray before our meal, right? But when we fast, prayer becomes the meal. To fast is actually to feast. It is to feast on Christ. 
We feast on the goodness and sufficiency of our God. We feast when we lay down our burdens before them and exchange our anxieties for his peace. We feast when we repent of our sin and resolve to obey him as king. We feast when we pray and lift up the burdens of others before a God who cares. We feast when we fast. And when you fast, don't let it just be about what you're losing, but what you're gaining. Hunger for God and be filled. Well, Daniel, in the Bible, the book of Daniel comes to mind, and I felt the Lord leading me to this book to begin this series. And so Daniel is known for being a man of God committed to prayer. Do you remember when the king decreed that no one could pray or worship anybody but him, and anybody who did was going to be thrown in the lion's den? You remember that? That's where we get the famous story, Daniel in the lion's den, because he refused to obey that word of the king. He immediately went back to his house, opened his window, got on his knees, and prayed to the Lord three times a day, as he had done before. Well, the book of Daniel is really such a gift to the church. It's a timely gift for us, actually significant for our day, for our culture, because uh, the way it's broken down is 12 chapters. The first six are stories, narrative stories about sort of comparing the difference between um, earthly kingdoms, the reigning and ruling of earthly authorities like Nebuchadnezzar and others in Daniel's day, and then the true reign of the true king, God Almighty. And so for six chapters, we have stories after story after story of men, of people who chose to serve and honor God as king in the face of an earthly king. In chapter one, you know, Daniel and his guys, they refused to eat the food from the king's table. You remember? The king said, if you... Just eat what, what we're giving you. He said, no, no, our, our, our Lord has given us convictions not to eat that way. And they came up with a little competition, 10 days, right? You feed those other guys the scraps from the king's table. We'll eat our, you know, fruits and nuts and things. Just see which one of us looks healthier after 10 days. And the Lord honored that. Daniel chose to honor the king over that king. And it happened repeatedly. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that story? When the music plays, everyone bow to the idol, right? But they didn't. They refused. They said, no, 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 no. We, we reserve bowing and worshiping and praying for the one true king. No idol to any earthly king. They ended up in a fiery furnace for that. Right? So all throughout the six, first six chapters of Daniel, we have these story after story after story. And the purpose of those stories is to teach us how to live in both worlds. Under and in the authority of this world, but truly under the authority of that king. Well, that's the first six chapters. Then the last six chapters, beginning in chapter 7, God gives Daniel a vision. A vision of what that kingdom looks like. What is it going to be like to be in this kingdom? And what's the spiritual kingdom really all about? So 
So we pick up, we will pick up in chapter 10. The truth, church, is that there is no higher authority on this earth than the king that we serve, King Jesus. Amen? All the people that belong to God, that has, he has redeemed by the blood of Christ, must honor our king above any ruler on earth. Amen? Okay. So you affirm that. It, you should. Now, let me break this down for just one moment before we dig into the word together. Are you... You don't have to answer this, but are you faithfully committed to Christ as your king? As your king. I want you to know it is a two-for-one deal. Don't buy or believe the cheapened gimmick gospel that you can get forgiven of your sin and have Jesus as Savior without surrendering to Him as King. It's a two-for-one. You, you don't get Him as Savior if He's not King. Jesus' death on the cross was to take on Himself the wrath of God against all sin. And in so, in so doing, He became a Savior to all who believe. But... Then he rose from the dead to take his place on the throne of the kingdom for all eternity. Do you believe this? Okay, so listen. You cannot only choose the Jesus on the cross. You must also bow to the Jesus on the throne. He's king. Well, Daniel was a man of prayer. And today we want to dig into Daniel chapter 10. So will you stand to your feet as we read and honor God's word? And hopefully you found your place in Daniel chapter 10. This is a mysterious passage. Gives us a glimpse into a spiritual world that really we know very little about. But here we're going to see some of what may be happening when you pray. I'm going to read the whole chapter. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true and it was a great conflict. He understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks I ate no delicacy, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, and I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist, his body like Barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words was like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled to hide themselves. So 
I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words and I heard the sound of uh, of his words and I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael... One of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what it is, what is to happen to you, to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute and behold one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, Oh, man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Well, this is a, a very unique and mysterious passage. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus, our King, may you open our eyes to the wonder of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated, church. Well, there's a lot happening in this portion of scripture and rather than pick it all to pieces and un uncover every truth from every stone I really want to focus in on prayer so my hope today in this message is 
to call you to passionate prayer with your eyes wide open to the true king and his kingdom and your role in it through prayer. So with that objective, let's talk for just a moment about prayer generally, and then we'll dig into the text. So generally speaking, prayer is communion with God. It's being with God. It's speaking to God, talking to God, conversing, listening to God. It's being with him, with him, even in the quietness of a moment. Prayer is a beautiful way that we actually live out the witness that God offers us in the gospel. In Jesus, God said, I've come to be with you, right? And when we pray, we live like we believe it, to be with him. So prayer is personal. If you're taking notes, it's personal. What, what do I mean by that? I, I mean that because of the great love of God the Father and his adopting work through his son Jesus Christ, Christians can call, <laughs> Christians can call and he will answer. Please don't answer right now. Uh, that would be a bit distracting. Um, Christians can call on God, but we call on him. The Bible tells us to call on him as, anybody know? Abba. What does that word mean? Anybody know? Yeah, it means father, but a little more personal. Daddy. We're talking about a relational father. Christians, by way of the Spirit, can call on God as dad. We come boldly to the throne of grace. We come boldly. Why can you come boldly? To the throne. Are you listening to the words of the Bible? How do you come boldly to the king's throne? Only if you're his child. I've referred to it before, but I really love the picture of President JFK sitting in the Oval Office. I think we've got a, he's sitting there working at his desk, right? And his son playing under the desk, like this little peek through hole in the resolute desk in the Oval Office. I love this picture because it's such a great illustration. Somebody needs to say, hey, you, you, you can't play there. This is the Oval Office. It's the President's desk. You can't be here no one can come in this room the president he's busy working his work is important specialists you can't be here you can't right you can't unless the president is your dad in a much greater way in a much more powerful way. Everything in the world should tell you, you can't talk to God. Oh, but you can if he's your dad. It's personal. 
prayer is personal. Prayer is a privilege. It's a privilege. Prayer's an incredible honor. I mean, just thinking about that imagery of coming before his throne and, and being wanted and welcomed as a child of this, this king. What a privilege. It's not a chore. It's not something to put on your to-do list as a checklist to well, make sure I better make sure I pray today. No, this is, this is a privilege. You get to pray. You've been given access to God through Jesus. Jesus breathed his last on the cross in that moment. The veil in the temple that represented a separation between humans and God. You can't come to God. But when Jesus breathed his last, God tore that veil and said, come to me. Come to me. And we come to him in prayer. It's a privilege. Prayer is powerful. Powerful. Many of us are so naive to the power of prayer. I was confessing to our group here on Wednesday night at Refuel. We've started that back. What a beautiful time together that was Wednesday. I loved it. Much of the sermon today is from that discussion. I was just confessing to them my prayers are so small, they're so me centered. My prayer bubble is like this big. Man, I tell you. What I'm hoping today is that God will open our eyes to what we're really engaging in in prayer. What prayer is really about. We're deceived, church, if we think from a productivity mindset. I've got, I've got so much to do today. I just, uh, well, okay, okay, Lord, I'll give you a few minutes. I'll give you a few minutes in prayer. Okay, God, please bless me today. I, I want to live for you today. Help me. Okay, amen. Got to go. We're so deceived. If we think we can be more productive than God. God does more in 10 minutes of faithful, fervent prayer than you do in 10 hours of busy living. Give yourself to prayer. It's where the power's at. Let's look at Daniel 10 and see what the Lord would say specifically to us through these verses. And again, there's so much here and we're only scratching the surface to talk about prayer. But the first truth I hope we walk away with is this. God hears your prayers. He hears you. Look at verse 12. Chapter 10 verse 12. This angelic being who's now speaking to Daniel, says to him in verse 12, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before God, your words have been, what? Heard. God hears your prayers. 
Don't just wash over that like a vacation Bible school lesson. Let it sink into you who you're talking to. What business you have talking to him and why he should bother to listen to you. The creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who, when he speaks, he says, let there be and it is. Why do your words matter? His words is all that should matter. Why should he listen to what you have to say? God listens when we pray. Um, I'm a bit of a sports fan. Not a fanatic. Not too crazy. But there are on occasion where something exciting happens on TV. And uh, I usually, if it's exciting, the game is very competitive, things are close. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the couch, I'm just watching, I'm enjoying the plays. But if it gets crazy good, I get up from my seat, I walk to the screen. I'm standing there. I'm like, uh, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Throw the ball, throw the ball. Catch it, catch it, catch it. Right? It's funny, you know, I, I mean, coach, that's the, why you call it play again? It didn't work last time. Is it going to work? No, it's not going to Don't call that play. Call it again. In moments, there are moments like that. I have a problem when things are exciting. It just, just comes out. My daughter has started playing basketball with a 12U team. There's not a ton of people in the stands, but I'm there. And I have come to discover it's a little different. Um, because <laughs> when I yell at the exciting moments in that setting, people hear me. And uh, the other day, we were, I was, we were at the game, and it was intense. It was close. And Riley's on the court. She's playing, you know, and I'm like, Riley, put your hands up. And in the middle of the game, she turns and goes, I am. Put my hands up. I was like, go play, go play, go play. Listen to me. When you pray, you're on the court. It's not the screen you're talking to. You're not just clearing your head or getting it off your chest. You're not just speaking out wishful thoughts. God hears you. He's listening. Daniel was burdened. There was a great conflict. And so he fasted. He said, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm not going to put any meat, no, no drink, no wine. No, I'm, I'm on my face. God, this is important. This is important. And in verse 12, we find out from the moment you set your heart and humbled yourself and started speaking, your words have been heard. This is powerful. When you pray, do you believe it? You're just reciting a thing. That you say your customary thing, 
God tells us in his word that he even hears deeper than our words, right? Romans chapter 8, we have this beautiful thing that happens with the Holy Spirit. When you can't even get the words out, when grief is so heavy, you, have, you don't even know what to say. The Holy Spirit is with you. And he says, I, I'll handle this. I'll speak your heart. I'll bring your heart before God. You, you can't even muster the words and the Holy Spirit is like, let me, let me handle this. Oh God. God hears deeper than our words. He cares about your heart. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6. Don't you know God cares for the sparrows, the tree, nothing happens. He knows the hairs on your head. So here's the thing. You're not informing him of anything new. Matthew 6, Jesus says, God already knows what you need. So, okay, whoa, 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 what is the point then? Why am I telling him if he already knows? Well, Philippians 4 says, make your request known to God. Make them known to God. Not that he doesn't already know them. What's the point of this? It's the next verse. And let the peace of God. You're, you're letting it go. Anxiety go. Peace come. The purpose of prayer is not to inform God. But to have a relationship with him. Prayer is not about getting something from God. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme. But getting closer to God. Take me, take me, take me, take me. God hears your prayers. Secondly, your prayers matter. Now I'm a father and I, I listen to a lot of words all the time. We have five children, if you didn't know. My house is filled with words. Lots of them. And I am unlike God in this regard. Many times those words don't matter to me very much. Confession. But your prayers matter God is listening and he cares what you say I want us just to observe a few things in prayer we see from Daniel that power comes through weakness Power comes through weakness. Daniel was fasting, so his energy is already zapped. He's depleted. And then, then there's this encounter with an, a, a heavenly being. Now, me personally, I believe this first encounter is an encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ. If you look at a parallel to Revelation chapter 1, it's like Daniel seeing the same Jesus that John describes in Revelation 1. And it wouldn't be unusual for that to happen in the book of Daniel. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace with a fourth man who looked like the Son of God, right? So this would not be unusual to have what's called a Christophany in Daniel because it was already happening quite a bit. So I believe Daniel saw Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. Then there's a voice, an angelic type voice speaking to him. And seeing him and hearing these words, it literally crushed Daniel. Like the scripture says, it, it, it pressed him 
face down. He couldn't even, he was mute. He could not open his mouth. It's not that he didn't have words. He literally could not speak them. Weakness. He was pressed into weakness. And then we read in verse 19 that this messenger spoke peace and strength to Daniel and his strength was restored he could speak again I think this is a great picture of prayer because prayer at its core its essence is an admission a recognition of my weakness and I'm coming to you because I'm broken and wore out and I'm no good in this circumstance whatever it is I cannot, but I'm here because I believe you can, right? Prayer is an ownership of weakness. I'm weak. You're strong. The great irony of prayer is that you get stronger as you get on your knees before God. Power comes through weakness. To pray is to embrace your own weakness, but then to exchange it for his strength. And God will take your weakness. He will give you his peace, his strength, as he did Daniel. In prayer, we participate in the spiritual world. This is sort of the holistic view of what's happening here in Daniel 10. There's a spiritual world that in prayer we participate in it. And this is baffling. It's really mysterious, but there's a whole world, another kingdom, if you will, that we cannot see. We cannot see it. The angel explains to Daniel what's been happening for the 21 days that he's been praying. Which, by the way, this is the reason why we do a 21-day fast. is based on this scripture. Not that it's prescribed to us, but just to remind ourselves that as Daniel engaged in a spiritual war for 21 days, we want to as well. Well, this angel explains to him, I've been trying to get with you. I've got a message from God to tell you about the vision you've had because it's for a day yet to come. And I started this journey to get to you the very first moment you started praying. But I was held up by the princes of Persia. Now remember, we're talking about an angel here, right? So who are the princes of Persia that would be holding him up? An opponent to God's angelic beings would be what? A demon, right? Yeah. This is what we're talking about. Angels and demons here. Are they real? Oh. He describes it in pretty good detail. Man, I was fighting with this angel for 21 days. And I was going... It was a tough battle. 21 days I've been fighting this battle. And then here comes Archangel Michael and just like, he takes him out. So here I am, man. I've come to see you got something to tell you there's not a coincidence of time frame here you understand 21 days in a spiritual war 21 days in prayer this is not coincidence is it 
Don't you believe that the point of God telling us this thing is to sort of help us to correlate? When you pray, you participate in the spiritual kingdom. Do you see that? He's saying that the war in the spiritual realm is fought by Daniel and you and me in the prayer realm. Do you believe in a spiritual realm like this? Is this presented anywhere else in the Bible? Well, when Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews, right? Right before they were about to crucify him. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded to him. Do you know what he said? My kingdom is what? Not of this world. Listen to what Jesus said there. He said, I'm absolutely the king, but not just to the Jews. I'm the king of of eternity. I'm the king of another world, a spiritual world. I am the king. Yeah. When Jesus taught us to pray, we prayed some of these words a moment ago. Maybe you know them. Would you say them with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your what? Kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom is in heaven, and there's a kingdom on earth filled with Nebuchadnezzar's and, right? Your kingdom, O oh God, come and infiltrate this kingdom, this world. And what we're learning from Daniel is that in prayer, we participate in the bringing of the kingdom into this world. It's bigger than you think. It's not like this little bubble if you pray like me. Lord, help me, bless me, bless my children. Good prayers. Small. Super small. May God open our eyes to what prayer really is. At the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul gives this great litany, this exhortation of how we're to enter the spiritual war. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of what? His might. Why? Well, because you're weak. I'm weak. You don't want to go to this battle on your own. So how do you get in it? Be strong in the who? Lord. Through prayer, right? In the strength of his might. He says that we need spiritual armor. So he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the who? The devil, you're engaging in a battle in a different kingdom when you pray. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. It's not about this world. It's like Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not here, flesh and blood. It's, it's another world. My battle's not with you, Pilate. You can take me to the cross. You can think you win. But you'll find out. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, church, suit up for battle. And how do you do it? Prayer. In prayer, you participate in a spiritual kingdom. Prayer is how we suit up. So don't go to the battlefield without your armor. Pray. 
Don't go without your sword. Pray. Don't go without your shield. Pray. We could go through the list. Pray, pray, pray. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha and his servant are surrounded by a great Syrian army. And the servant is panicking. He looks at Elisha and he's like, hey man, there's, there's, there's a whole lot of them. It's just me and you. We're in trouble. And Elisha says, no, no, no. There's, there's more with us than there are with them. And the servant like looks at Elisha and he kind of looks on the horizon. He's like, and you're a good prophet. You're bad at math. There's, a, there's like a whole bunch of them. And it's just me and you here. And Elisha prays. Says, oh God. Open this man's eyes to see. And the servant opens his eyes and all of a sudden he looks on the horizon and that army that was there is surrounded by a greater army of fiery chariots and horses and warriors. Now I want you to know, that's what you don't see. It's real. But we don't see it. And because we don't see it, we pray little world prayers. We pray flesh and blood prayers. We pray right here. We never really press into what prayer is all about. But in prayer, you're participating in a spiritual kingdom. And in prayer, we partner with the king. This may sound scary to get involved in the spiritual world. Except remember who you're praying to. Who are you talking to when you pray? Now, wait a minute. Say it. Who are you talking to when you pray? Yeah, the God. But who is God? He's the king of this kingdom. Wait, wait, wait. How do you have access to God? Wait a minute. Because you, you're pushing through the desk. Because he's my dad. <laughs> I'm talking to the king. So in prayer, you partner with the kingdom or the king of the eternal Kingdom. Notice that when Daniel prayed, the king dispatched a messenger. If we could only see what's going on in the spiritual world behind the flesh and blood battles that we face. If you could actually see what's really happening. It probably scares to death. But be comforted, church. Christian brother or sister, we are on the winning team. Amen. We're on the winning team. Jesus dealt the final blow to our enemy on the cross. Though he was bruised, he crushed the head of that serpent. Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Having faced the worst our enemy can do to us. And from his eternal throne, his promises for freedom from the fear of death and from the slavery of sin ring true for all who believe. I love what John Piper says about prayer. This expression, I hope you remember it. He says, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. He explains, it's not mainly the intercom system. You guys old enough to remember those in your house? An intercom, push the button, you can talk to the den or the kitchen or whatever. When I was a kid, we had one of those. We loved it. Our parents hated it. But... You push the button and you can talk to the other rooms. And he's, John Piper says, prayer is not mainly an intercom system to call for more comforts in the living room. Hey, bring me a pillow. I need a little more to drink. Thanks. Appreciate you. 
That's not prayer, right? Prayer is a wartime walk. We're dying. Send an aerial assault. Drop some bombs. Help, right? This is prayer. We're in a war. And we need the commander of the army to, to come in. It's a wartime walkie-talkie. Prayer is about communing with God. But don't lose sight. It is also about combat with the enemy. Communion with God and combat with the enemy. This is what prayer is. Now, not that you speak to the enemy, just to be clear. We're not necessarily doing much of that. We're talking to the God who has ultimate supreme authority over the enemy. Number three. Lastly and briefly, God works because of your prayers. This passage, especially verse 12, makes it perfectly clear that Daniel's words have been heard and God sent help. And the cause effect wording here is precise. It's, it's significant. Don't miss it. It's unmistakable. Verse 12 says, I have come because of your words. So make no mistake, your prayers matter. It's not just empty talking. When you say to a brother or sister, would you please pray for me? It better be not just that you want their sympathy. It better be because you believe that when they're on their knees, they're in the fight on your behalf. Their prayers matter. And so do yours. God's not just listening and then doing whatever, whatever. This scripture says, I have come because of your words. It's unmistakable. The book of James in the New Testament says it this way. See if you know the verse. You have not because you ask not. James is not teaching us, hey, uh, don't ask and you'll get it anyway. That is not the lesson from James. It's just the opposite, in fact. Your prayers matter. So, over the course of these 21 days, church, what will happen? What will happen if God gives you everything you ask for in the next 21 days? What difference will it make in the kingdom? Everything you plead with God for in prayer, he grants to you. I'm just painting a hypothetical. What would happen in the world if God gave you everything you prayed for? Who would be saved? What broken sinner are you praying would come to know the love of Jesus? Who would be rescued from addiction or from sin or from hurt or bitterness and anger and unforgiveness? What, what relationship would be reconciled? What, what son would come home? What divorce could be restored? 
What change would happen if you got everything you pray for? What big steps will you take for the Lord? What do you want to ask him to do in your life, through you? What passion do you want God to awaken in you? Listen to me. From the youngest in this house to the oldest. When this happened to Daniel, he was 86 years old. You don't retire from this fight. Stay in it. You don't age out of being a Christian on fire for Jesus. Stay in the fight. So church prayer is personal, it's powerful, it's a great privilege. My question, which is an invitation to you today, will you pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. The scriptures open our eyes to see and know that you are doing things we could never see nor know. But it's not for us to see and know all the things that are happening there. It's for us to trust in the one who does. And in prayer, we come to you in faith. We lift our hearts, our souls to you. We're burdened over many things. God, may we be a people who pray. The devil has kept us busy for far too long. May we lay aside our busyness and get in the fight through prayer. Jesus, awaken the heart of your church. There is truly an army rising up. And we know there's power in the name of Jesus. So God, our prayer is that you let us be a part of what you're doing in the kingdom. Let us be close to you as our king, as our daddy, as our father. To know the communion and intimacy we can have with God through prayer. But also to participate, to go to war, to fight on behalf of the kingdom. God, please, far too many soldiers are playing cards in the barracks. Call us back to the battlefield in prayer. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we pray. Amen.